We are in a series called I Am a Christian, But I Still. Take out your bulletins. Looks like this. In the bulletin is a note page, and it looks like this. And I got a lot to get to. We're going to go to Acts chapter 19. We are in a series of messages talking about the things that Christians are still going to struggle with to remind ourselves that Christians have not, will not, and do not arrive. We are in process. And then also to realize that we are struggling with certain things altogether. We all struggle in many respects with doubts. We all struggle with, with sin. And last week we talked about sin. But today it's feeling empty. Sometimes there's Christians in the churches and they feel empty. And, and this is something that I think is very common today in our generation. Because we live in a, a time, a generation of of incredible wealth and technological advancements and, and all kinds of things that are good, good things for us. They help us do life better. I mean, one of my favorite inventions, it's an old invention now, but one of my favorite inventions is the washing machine. I mean, I don't think we think about this enough, but the, the washing machine is a wonderful invention. There was a time when people walked around with bulging triceps because they had to take that board. You ever see this in the cartoons, in the old westerns, and they had to go <laughs> How many of you are glad that you don't have to do that with your husband's drawers anymore, hallelujah. <laughs> Technological advancements. We're living in a time where cars can literally drive themselves right now. We're living in a time of economic prosperity. Low unemployment, looks good for the country, looks like we're, we're going in the right direction economically, but there's still a problem spiritually. And what I think we're living in is a time where it's proving that you can get everything that you want in life and still feel empty. Now, this is a reality for our culture. This is a reality for the world in which we live. But it's not supposed to be the reality of those who place their trust in Jesus. I have no problem with non-believers feeling empty. In fact, they should feel empty. They have my blessing to feel empty. If you don't want the fullness that Christ offers, you're going to feel empty. But when you come to Christ, I want to tell you that there is a potential fullness that you can experience so that you will not search for anything else to truly fill the void that is inside of you. Now, don't get me wrong. The things of this world are, are in many respects, wonderful to have. I'm all for you having plenty of money, prosperity. I'm all for you having wonderful friends, a wonderful house, a car that you love to drive. I, th those things are not evil in and of themselves, but they cannot satisfy us at the depths of our being. You are deeper than a billion dollars. How do I know that? Because the creator of Minecraft, his name is Marcus Pearson. He sold Minecraft, the video game, to Microsoft in 2014, sorry, 2014, for, check this out, $3.2 billion. $1.3 of that billion went straight to him. And he had a, a, a spending spree. He outbid Jay-Z and Beyonce, or whoever it is, for their mansion in Beverly Hills, $70 million. And then... He went to Ibiza, Spain, and partied it up with his friends and flew around the world and bought himself a yacht. And then on August 29th, in 2014, he went on a tweet storm of how empty he is. Quote, the problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying and human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. 
moments later, quote, hanging out in Ibiza with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I've never felt more isolated. Two minutes later, quote, when we sold the company, the biggest effort went into making sure the employees got taken care of, and now they all hate me. One minute later, quote, found a great girl, but she's afraid of me and my lifestyle, and went with a normal person instead. Kevin Durant, when he won the NBA championship the following year, he was having an unprecedented level of technical fouls, flagrant fouls against him. And they saw an increase in his anger. And they asked him, what's wrong? And he said, I think what's really wrong is that I thought winning an NBA championship would fill the void, and it hasn't. And then it's all the pop stars. They sing about this constantly, don't they? Dating all the way back to the days of Metallica. How many of you still have a Metallica shirt? Come on. Not one that you recently bought from Target, but I'm talking about one that still smells like feet from the 1980s. A couple of proud Metallica heads, okay? Amazingly enough, they sing a song. It's called Fade to Black. Here's the lyrics. I have lost the will to live, simply nothing more to give. There is nothing more for me the need uh, for me to, uh, sorry, there is nothing more for me need the end to set me free. Things not what they used to be, missing one inside of me, deathly lost, this can't be real, cannot stand this hell I feel. Millions of dollars, billions of fans, empty. You know why? Because you're deeper than billions of fans. You're deeper than millions of dollars. You're deeper than all the success and notoriety this world can pour into your soul. You are deeper and you are made for something that nothing in this world can truly fill. You need something outside of the pleasures of this life. And recently, even more recently, pop stars, just thinking about this, a couple of weeks ago, I was out cleaning my pool. Again, not, not, not bad to have nice things. Cleaning my pool. And I was having a nice day. The sun was shining, and I was cleaning my pool. And my wife is on this Ed Sheeran kick. She's playing him all the time now. I'm, st I'm starting to hate Castle on a Hill. <laughs> Loved it, now I hate it, because it's playing all the time. Well, I was cleaning my pool, and then a song came on called Save Myself. And I don't know if you've heard the lyrics of this song, but as he was singing, I was like, this guy needs Jesus. And you know, he actually learned to sing in church. I don't know if you know that. And then he jettisoned the religious thing and went with the singing thing and now has made billions, millions of dollars and billions of fans. And recently he wrote a song called Save Myself. Quote, the lyrics go like this. Life can get you down, so I just numb the way it feels. I drown it with a drink and out-of-date prescription pills. And all the ones that love me, they just left me on the shelf, no farewell. So before I save someone else, I've got to save myself. Americans are more depressed than ever before. I don't know if you know that. All the reports, all the studies, all the research shows we are increasing our level of depression at unprecedented levels. The number of people diagnosed with clinical depression has grown 33% in the last four years alone. 33%. Suicide is a major problem for our 12 to 14-year-olds, particularly the girls. And people feel lonely and isolated like never before. And we have unlimited access to more relationships and more people and more things than ever before. Uh, uh, Michelle Chen from NBCNews.com writes an article called Millennials Issue is Depressing Consumeristic Culture, Not Narcissism. Depressing consumeristic culture. We have unlimited access to get anything that we want at any time. And Amazon will even deliver to your house in two days or less. 
for free, as long as you pay the $155 fee every year. And so we get, we get, we get. And so she says this, we are living lives of unfettered excess and bottomless deprivation. You are deeper than an Amazon package. You ever get the Amazon package rush? Anybody have the Alexa in their home? If you're watching from home right now, Alexa, notifications. I just, Alexa psyched you out. And the little yellow thing, oh, I got a delivery, I can't wait. And you go home and you open it, and you get it, and you open it, and you're like, ah! And that's it. <laughs> Alexis, Alex Ovechkin from the Washington Capitals, probably the greatest net, a hockey player on the planet, won the championship finally after a long and, and successful career without a championship last year. And he talked about it on ESPN that the moment that he raised the trophy, he had a horrible thought. Now what? You are deeper than a Stanley Cup. You are deeper than an Oscar. You are deeper than all the friends this world can give you. And there is more. C.S. Lewis famously said, if I find in myself a desire for which nothing in this world can satisfy me, the only logical conclusion is that I am made for another world. And we are. So emptiness. If you feel empty, you probably are. Well, thanks, Pastor. That helps a lot. <laughs> but I want to talk to the people today who are Christians because I don't think that this gets talked about enough in the church today. Many people go through the motions of Christianity and they never still feel the fullness of God in their life. And I want to tell you that, that that's not the plan. Jesus said that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life. And if you know it, finish it with me. And life to the full. He wants you to live a full life. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians are living a half-life. And I think that they're going to heaven, and I think that they're saved, but I don't think that they're full. And in Acts chapter 19, we meet some people who weren't yet full. So look with me at verse 1 of Acts chapter 19. It's going to be on the screen as well. And it happened that while Apollos, and if you just note Apollos' name there for a moment, was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to what, what town? Ephesus, I need you to know these names and these towns for a moment. Just bear with me. There he found some disciples. So Paul, this was his mission. He went from city to city planting churches. Do you know why he planted churches? Because he knew that what you need is a church. You need a church. There is nothing better than a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, lost people-reaching church. Nothing better. I love being in the church. Anybody with me? And uh, Paul knew we needed a body of Christ. We needed a local fellowship to come to and get to know people and grow in our faith together. So he went from city to city planting churches, and he found some disciples in Ephesus. And verse 2 of Acts chapter 19 says this, And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Why this question? He found some disciples. And he said, Wait a second. After getting to know them a little bit, he said, Wait a second. Wait. It feels like there's something missing there. That's what he said. He, he suddenly realized that though they claimed faith, there was still an emptiness. And that's why he asked the question. There's something missing. 
He wouldn't have asked that question if they were filled with the life of the Holy Spirit, would he have? So he stops, he says, okay, wait a second. Just based on my interaction with you, I got a question for you. Do you have the Holy Spirit? And, the, and they answer, they say, no. <laughs> Love their honesty. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Oh my goodness, how many churches in America would say the exact same thing? They've heard of the sacraments. They've heard of the ritual. They've heard of the form. They've heard of the religious practices, but they have not heard of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of churches jettison talk of the Holy Spirit out of fear because in the last century, their Holy Spirit kind of broke out in some churches. We call them Pentecostal or Charismatic churches. How many of you are familiar with the Pentecostal and Charismatic church? I was raised Pentecostal. Hallelujah! That was just a taste. That was just a taste of the craziness Pentecostals were known for. Dancing and jumping up and down and going nuts for Jesus. We're the ones, we Pentecostals are the ones who got the American church to stop being boring. <laughs> Raise your hands for heaven's sakes. Why? Because Jesus won. I'm not comfortable raising my hands. I don't raise my hands anywhere. I am very dignified. I am very subdued. And then you take that same dude and put him in Gillette Stadium, and suddenly he's Pentecostal. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> they won. You didn't win. They won. I know. interesting how we do that at stadiums and we refuse to do it at church when we should do it at church and kind of do it at stadiums. Why? Because the victory we're talking about is the real victory over sin, hell, and death. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so we Pentecostals say, you're welcome. <laughs> we're the ones who breathe life into the dusty old church. But there was a lot of churches that, and they still to this day talk about the Holy Trinity as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. <laughs> you got to be in with the church lingo, lingo to get that joke. But it's not, right? It's God the Son, God the, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So there's this fear of the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you, you should never fear what God wants you to have. Never. So they say, we haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Verse three. And he said, well, then into what were you baptized? And notice the word, notice the question here, into what were you baptized? Meaning that if you are disciples, you should be baptized. Notice that Paul assumes baptism. I emphasize this because some of you are still on the fence about baptism. In the New Testament, it went hand in hand with belief. It wasn't put my faith in Christ and then mull the idea of getting baptized for 15 years. <laughs> and then maybe go through baptism. No, it was believe, baptized. Believe, baptized. In fact, baptism is the verbal and physical demonstration that you believe. It's not actually the first step. Some of you are wavering about baptism. You're like, I don't know. I don't want to do the video. Well, we just had a baptism this morning. No video. And we baptized him. And he was a good-looking guy. He should have been on the video. But honestly, you know, we're not going to force the video on you, but the video helps tell other people your story so that other people who can resonate with your story will receive Jesus. So baptism and belief go hand in hand in the New Testament. That's why Paul says, he doesn't say, what church do you go to, does he? 
He doesn't say, wait, wait a second. Oh, oh, wait, okay. Well, what's your favorite Bible translation? He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't say, are you Catholic or Protestant? He says, what were you baptized in? So they answered John's baptism. And then he says, Paul said in verse 4, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. That baptism was to point you to Jesus. And then verse 5 says, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now look at verse 6. This is going to freak some of you out. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight. And I pray that we will see Jesus. In his name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. So there's a great debate about this particular text amongst theologians. Some of you, this is totally off your radar. I'm almost kind of hesitant to put it on your radar, but I'll just address it because some of you are very familiar with this debate. And the debate around the Ephesian believers, I told you, remember, it's Ephesus. The debate about the Ephesian believers of Acts chapter 19 is, were they actually Christians at all? The scripture calls them disciples. And I just want to say, the word Christian doesn't actually even show up that much in the New Testament. Three times, actually. I think only once in the book of Acts. So let's jettison that excuse that they might not be Christians because they were called disciples. Secondly, they say, well, they were baptized into John's baptism. So they had heard the preaching and teaching of John. So maybe they're not Christians yet. And I got to say, that is a bunch of baloney. That's not possible. Do you know why? Because the only message that John the Baptist had was repent and believe in the one who's coming after me. John the Baptist was the forerunner, the Elijah, so to speak, to precede the coming of Jesus. And he could not shut up about Jesus. He talked about him constantly. There's no way you could be a disciple of John the Baptist and not have heard about Jesus. Okay? So let's get rid of that excuse that they weren't Christians because... They were only baptized into John's baptism. But I even have a more powerful reason to teach you that these people in Ephesus were Christians. They had heard of Jesus, and they put their faith in Jesus, and they had been taught about Jesus. I know for a fact. You say, how do you know? Because I've read the Bible. Let's just back up a little bit, shall we? In chapter 18, because it actually tells us right before this moment in Acts chapter 19, there's no doubt that they had heard of Jesus and they were following Jesus. Remember I said in verse 1, Apollos, remember? Remember that Apollos was at Corinth. Well, he had been at Ephesus, and that's in chapter 18. Look with me, verse 24 of chapter 18, just backing up a little bit. Scripture always interprets Scripture. So when you have a Bible question, go to the Bible. Verse 24, now a Jew named Apollos, there he is. A native of Alexandria came to where? Go ahead and say it. It's on the screen. <laughs> Just shout it out. Uh, yeah, no, not now. Later. <laughs> he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. Verse 25. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught. What's that next word? 
accurately the things concerning Jesus. Then notice the moniker, though he knew only the baptism of John. Whoa! That blows away the debate that the Ephesian disciples had not yet heard of Jesus or received Jesus because Apollos had been there before Paul got there and met them, and he had not just taught them about Jesus. What does it say? Accurately taught them about Jesus, and he only knew the baptism of John, just like the Ephesian disciples. Are you tracking with me so far? Because this, I know we're answering a Bible debate that has really very little relevance to your life, I understand, but it's an important debate. Because we got to understand that there is more to the faith than just receiving Jesus. There is. Okay, we'll get to that in just a moment, but just stay with me. Verse 26, he began, this is Apollos, he began to preach, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila, who are those people, they are missionary partners with Paul the Apostle. So they had traveled with Paul and gone to the churches with Paul, and then they hear Apollos preaching, and it says they heard him, and then they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So they saw something in, in Apollos that wasn't, wasn't there. Though he knew of Jesus, talked about Jesus, and taught accurately about Jesus, he still needed more instruction. By the way, that's true for everybody. But here, when, Apollo, when it comes to Apollos, there is something missing to his ministry, his influence. Now look what happens. They teach him more about God and the, and the ways of God. And verse 27, I'm so excited about this verse. Look at this. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him. This is after he had been instructed by Priscilla and Aquila more accurately about Jesus. He, uh, they wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he, what's the next word? Greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he, next word, just notice the adverbs, powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So Apollos goes from eloquent speaker to influential speaker. He goes from gifted communicator to profound apologist for the faith to such an extent that he greatly helps those who believe and he powerfully refutes those who don't believe. And here's what I want you to see. There are a lot of Christians that are living as pre that moment Apollos. They've got faith in Jesus. They believe he died for their sins, but there's no power to their life or their influence. And I want to tell you that God does not want you to stay powerless. He wants to empower your life so that your Christian faith is not just about avoiding hell. How many people, that's it, they just want to, oh, I just don't want to go to hell, so I'll put my faith in Jesus. Do you really think that that's pleasing to God? Do you really think that that's all he wants for you? He wants so much more. He wants you living life to the fullest, not just walking through life marching through life in a victory parade because you know your Redeemer lives and you have been called and appointed and chosen and selected by the Most High God to accomplish great things on this planet and change the world in Jesus' name. Can I get a good amen from somebody? I'm preaching better than your amening, but that's okay. You need this teaching, I'm telling you. Here's what I want you to write down in your notes. See, Apollos had the same experience that the Ephesian disciples had, the same experience. So here's what I want you to write down. The Ephesian disciples 
had heard of Jesus, believed in Jesus, and listened to sermons about Jesus, but there was still something missing. And this is the great tragedy of many. Many people in the church, they believe in Jesus, they have put their faith in Jesus, they know of Jesus, but they're living powerless Christian lives. There's no joy. There's no sense that God is with them. They're still struggling with the same issues that they struggled with 10 years ago, 20 years ago. There's no discernment about the relationships that they keep. They keep, they keep cultivating relationships with people who suck them dry. There's no life to their marriage. There's no power in their witness of the Lord Jesus. And I don't, I don't want, if you're one of them, I don't want you to feel guilty. I want you to know that if you feel empty, there's an answer. Amen. See, it is very possible to come to our church, put your hand up, say the prayer, and still not feel the power of God at work in your life. It is very possible to get christened as a Catholic child and go all the way through CCD to confirmation and to have the party and to get the gifts afterwards and still not feel that you're doing life with the Lord Jesus. It is very possible to be raised in church, to go to Sunday school, to even think Bible thoughts and have Bible verses memorized and still feel like there's more. Do you know why? Because there is. The psalmist said it in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts for the living God. You've got a thirst. I've got a thirst. And that thirst is a tool that God in heaven is using to make sure that you don't look to the things of this world to do for you what only he alone can do for you. And the good news about those who thirst, the good news about the empty people among us, the good news about the people who feel like, yes, I'm believing, but I don't feel the power of God. The good news is that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be filled. That thirst in your life is a witness to your spirit that you are made for more than just avoiding hell. You are made for a life of victory and power in Jesus. So I want you to write this down. There is more to the Christian experience than just believing facts about Jesus. There is fullness that God wants me to have. It's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And I ask that same question to, some, to, to, to you, to all of you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? when you believed. And some of you are saying, I don't know how. I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, I want you to know there's nothing more that God wants for your life than to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Number one, I need the Holy Spirit because Jesus died for me to have him. 
the work of the cross was not simply to put away your sins. See, proper theology believes that on the cross, Jesus bore the sins of the world. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Christ became a curse for us. He took the curse of sin on us. The curse that Adam and Eve gave us, Christ took from us. That's the gospel. But why? So that we could not just no longer have sin, but so that we could receive the Spirit within. At the Last Supper, Jesus says it like this, the Last Supper. Now listen, Judas has just gone to betray him. He has just washed the disciples' feet, and he's teaching them about the fact that he's leaving. This is the Last Supper. And he's telling the 11 that are there, and he says in verse 7 of John chapter 16, he says, it is to your advantage. Somebody say advantage. It is to your advantage, disciples, that I go away. And I just see them saying, what? You're going away? We got a good thing going here. They're the miracles. The dead are being raised. And the free lunches. Everybody loves the free lunches. You know? No, no, I'm going away. And this is your advantage. For if I do not go away, the helper, another term for the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Where is Jesus talking about going? Where is he talking about going? Remember, I said Judas just went to get the battalion of soldiers to come and arrest him and so that he could go to the cross. He will be brought to the cross. He's talking about going to the cross and into the grave and into the heavens. I am going through all that so that the helper can come. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? I'm going to the cross, not just so that your sins can be washed away. I'm going to the cross so that the Holy Spirit can come and live inside of you. So I, I came up with this rhyme. Jesus died to take my sin so that God the Holy Spirit could move right in. <laughs> you say, well, why did that have to happen? Because in the Old Testament, it's very clear that God cannot dwell where sin dwells. He cannot dwell fully. You say, I, think God is, I thought God was everywhere. Well, yes, he is, but he cannot dwell fully in a reality, in a sensed and manifested reality where there is sin. This is why he banishes them from the Garden of Eden after they sin. This is why in the Old Testament, there was one little cubic place called the Holy of Holies where God dwelt. One time a year, the high priest could go in, offer one sacrifice for, it was called the Day of Atonement. They call it Yom Kippur today. Still happens, actually. They just don't do the sacrifices anymore. So what they would do is they would take two, two goats and they would kill one. And they would put the blood of the one on the other goat. And as they put the blood of the one on the other goat, the high priest would put his hands on the head of the goat and pronounce on the goat all the sins of the nation. And then they would take that goat and bring him off into the wilderness. Both goats point to Jesus. That, that Jesus would be crucified for our sins and the sins of the world would be placed on him. And then he would take our sins away, not into the wilderness, but into the grave so that they would never be brought up again. And on the Day of Atonement, in Leviticus chapter 16, God describes it like this. After the whole procedure with the goats went down, he said, for on this day atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. So you need cleansing. We talked about that last week, right? How many remember the Greek word for cleansing? Catharizo. Catharsis. Remember that? See, all this stuff ties together. And you will be catharizo before the Lord although the Hebrew word is different. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. 
Why? So that God can live in you and with you. Now, all that Old Testament stuff is pointing to the New Testament reality we have in Jesus. He is the final lamb. He is the final scapegoat. He is the final sacrifice. Do you notice that in Israel today, they still don't sacrifice? It ended. Literally, it ended 40 years after Jesus died. No more sacrifice. They haven't had a sacrifice in Israel for almost 2,000 years. That should point every Jew to Jesus because it happened not just spiritually, it happened logistically and historically. There's no more need for sacrifices because the final sacrifice has been offered in the Son, Jesus Christ. It's over. Okay, but here's the thing. They were just cleansed. That was the Day of Atonement. Then in harvest season, they have something called Pentecost, which spoke to the reality of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The cleansing happened then later. The cleansing happened then later. And actually, before Pentecost, there is Passover. Pentecost, I, a day of atonement I call national cleansing, or what, we, what I would call vicarious atonement, offered for the people. Passover, making it personal, bringing the lamb into your house. Five days later, slaying the lamb, offering a blood for, your, for yourselves. Passover, and then a few days after Passover, Pentecost, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. These feasts in ancient Israel are pointing to our spiritual reality in Christ. This is why the Bible is so stinking cool. Here's what I want to say, though. Some Christians are clean, but they aren't full. They aren't clean. They are clean, but they aren't full. And God does not want to leave you clean and unfull and empty. Um, I did some... I found, I found this out a couple of months ago, but I just want to bring it up again. There, there, the, the, the gas gauge on your car, I don't know if you know this, it's lying to you. It's lying to you. It stays on full longer than you're really full, and it gets to empty well before you're really empty. Now, how many of you are well aware that it gets to empty way before you're empty? Yeah, you're the, you're the ones who like to play Russian roulette with the gas gauge. Come on. You just love it. How far can I go? Remember that Seinfeld episode where Kramer takes a test drive with the car and he brings the, the dealership, the, the salesman on the ride? He's like, no, let's go for it. Let's go under that E. And the guy's like, this is crazy. I feel alive. I feel alive. Then he runs out of gas and Kramer gets out of the car and says, I'll think about it. It's a fantastic episode. But anyway, the gas gauge is lying to you and it stays on full longer than you're really full. Do you know why? Because you want it that way. Uh, uh, Paul Pearson from Ford Motor Company says that they've done the market research and they realize that consumers do not like to pay $50 for gas and then immediately see the needle go down. So it stays on full a little bit longer so that you feel like you're getting the most bang for your buck. And what, it, what he says is, quote, consumers are happy to be full. Uh, consumers are happy to be fooled that they are um, not as full as they really are and that they aren't as empty as they really are. And I thought, what a beautiful illustration for the spiritual life. Some of us are happy to be fooled that we're full when we're not. And that we can play fast and loose with the emptiness gauge in our lives. Don't stay there. You need the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus died. Number two, I need the Holy Spirit because he will open my eyes to the truth. We are living in a generation where truth is being thrown, literally, as the scripture says, thrown into the streets. What is true? Turn on news, 
Do you get truth? <laughs> no. Go to universities. Do you get truth? Not if it conflicts with feelings. Subjective feelings have trumped objective reality. Subjective feelings, how I feel inside, now trumps all objective reality. This is the institutions of our higher learning. Where's truth? Do our politicians tell us the truth? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Big old giggle over here. Exactly. We need truth. Well, guess what? God, the Holy Spirit, is the spirit of truth who comes into you and speaks to you. John chapter 16, at the Last Supper, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you. I just love that. Just look at that line. I still have many things. Jesus still has many things to say to you. And he says, but you can't handle them now. You need the Spirit. By the way, some of you say, I have a hard time understanding the Bible. Do you know why? Because you need the Holy Spirit to understand this. The, the Holy Spirit inspired it. Guess what else? The Holy Spirit interprets it. You need the fullness of the Holy Spirit so you can understand the Bible. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. I, I want that. I want to be able to know when I hear something from someone or some professional or some talking head on television, I want to be able to know bullcrap. Or that I can true. That, 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 sounds, that, that, that seems true. Well, how? The Holy Spirit speaks to you. See, you need this for yourself personally because how many of you, if you look back 10 years to your 10-year younger self, how many of you could say this? I believe some really stupid stuff back then. How many of you are willing to say, yep, 10 years ago, I was an idiot, ah, damn. Guess what? Your 10-year older self is going to say the same thing about you right now. You need the Holy Spirit to come in and say, let me give you a head start. Let me lead you into truth. Wouldn't it be wonderful during this political hotbed season to be able to interpret truth and not fall for a lie. Recently, Nancy Pelosi was on a, a talk show and she was interviewed and there was a glass of water on the table and she said, look, in this certain district in America, this glass of water could win with a D next to it. And I, everybody laughed because it's true. And there's so many people in our country that just look for the letter, D, R, D or R, D or R, check, check. Wait, what about the character? What about the person? What about what they've done? What about what they're actually doing? What, what about them? No, 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 D. R. Do you know what that's called? That's called being a buffoon. Check it. Don't just listen to what people tell you. Even the Bible said, do not believe every spirit. You know the Bible even says that about in the church. Do not believe everything that you hear. Check it out by the spirit who lives inside of you. And we need it. So Paul says to the Ephesians, I said, he, said, he said, I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers, Ephesians 1.16. I pray that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom. We need to grow in wisdom. The Spirit gives us wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. To be able to know what's true and what's not true. And not just nationally, but personally. What, what, what person should I date? What person should I avoid like the plague? What, where should we live? What house should we buy? What house has a bunch of problems that I don't need? I don't know about you, but I want the Holy Spirit to guide my life like that. And I believe that God cares about you as his child to want to guide you like that and protect you because you belong to him. But you need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Number three, this is going to be a fast point. I need the Holy Spirit because of the limitless positive benefits he brings to me. 
And they're all there listed. There's a bunch of blanks listed in your notes. So let me go through them quickly, and you can read the scriptures underneath them. But number one, he brings boldness and courage. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. 2 Timothy 1, 7. He brings boldness and courage. Number two, he brings hope. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Number three, he brings power to the inner person. I'm talking about inward power. Not just strength, but inward power. Ephesians 3.16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Inner power. He brings comfort, number four, Acts 9.31. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I wonder who here today, you've lost someone, you've lost a job, you're feeling so empty, so depressed. You need the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You don't need just friends. You need a supernatural work in your heart to bring comfort. You know what that word means, comfort? It means to bring strength again, to bring strength back to your heart. Number five, he brings life change. He changes your life step by step. Step by step, because it says this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We are being transformed in the same image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another, step by step. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Six, number six, he brings good results out of bad events. Woo, I would like that. Paul's saying to the Philippian believers in the Philippians 1.19, he says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit that this imprisonment He's in prison writing this. Will turn out for my deliverance. God will take the garbage of your life and turn it out for good. How? Because of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Seven, he brings supernatural gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want supernatural gifts in my life to help people. Word of wisdom, to be able to say something that's wise, not just knowledgeable, wise. There is a huge difference between knowledge and wisdom. Are we aware of this? Our world loves knowledge, but knowledge without wisdom is foolishness. You need to know what to do with your knowledge. Somebody said it once like this. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. I wonder who here needs to stop putting the tomatoes in the fruit salads of your life because people are kind of grossed out by it. <laughs> I mean, you know things, but do you know what to do with the knowledge that you know? That's what the Holy Spirit is for. So I hope I've whet your appetite for the Holy Spirit. Now, how to, hold, how to receive the Holy Spirit. Number one, I need to acknowledge that I need the Holy Spirit. This is what the believers in Ephesus needed to hear. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Paul says, I, there's something missing. I, don't, I can't put my finger on it. It feels like you haven't received the Spirit yet. You believe, you believe all the right things, but there's no power. Have you received the Holy Spirit? So you need to accept. You need to acknowledge. You need to say, yep, I need that. And number two, you need to surrender to the Lord Jesus. Surrender to the Lord Jesus does not mean believe in the Lord Jesus. Surrender means to hand him your life. To say, Lord, here it is. Not my will, but yours be done. 
That's surrender. Surrender is not expecting God to be the celestial personal assistant that helps you do what you want to do. Surrender is saying, God, you are God and I am not. Have your way in me. So he said on hearing this, they were baptized. Baptism is a symbol of surrender. Because think about even the, 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 the bodily movements of baptism. You don't get any more surrendered than to do this. <laughs> that's, that's just total surrender right there. Oh my gosh. Are they going to bring me out of this water? I don't know. Are they going to bring me out? That's total surrender. You got to surrender your life to Jesus and he'll fill you with the Holy Spirit. Some of you believe in Jesus, but you haven't surrendered to Jesus. You need to do it. Interestingly enough, we talked about we raise our hands for victory. Guess what else we raise our hands for? Surrender. It's a universal sign of victory and surrender. It's amazing how those two work together, that at the cross, we got our victory, but we only experience it when we surrender. Number three, submit yourself to the body of Christ. You need to say, body of Christ, I'm coming to you, because this is what Paul does. He lays his hands on them. This is a symbolic ritual, symbolic form of the body of Christ administering the gifts of the Holy Spirit to the rest of the body of Christ and passing it on. I received the Holy Spirit when I was 11 years old. It changed my life. I know. How much could your life change at 11? Let me tell you. It radically altered the course of my life. It was like an explosion. I can't describe it all to you today. It was an explosion. Things started to come out of me. Boldness, power, authority. Some of you love the way I preach. I got to tell you, the only reason why I preach the way I preach is because of the Holy Spirit. It's the only reason. He fills the words with power because it's his word and he loves you and he wants to get into you. But you got to be sent. You got to submit yourself. And it says they, the Spirit came on them when he laid his hand and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Some of you are like, oops, oh, oh, oh. Oh, I don't want the tongues thing. No, no, no. Okay, just Relax. We don't make you speak in tongues, and we don't insist that you have to speak in tongues. But if the Lord wants to give you the gift of tongues, he's going to do it. And be careful about resisting it too much, because he might just give it to you just to shut you up about it. <laughs> I've heard of pastors. They preached against tongues, and then they got tongues, and then they suddenly said, whoops, I guess I was wrong. But anyway, I'm not here to point out that you need to speak in tongues, but I am saying that you need power in your life. More than just believing in Jesus. And you can live victorious.